Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. All right, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Everybody say home. Now, this is Jesus' hometown at, the, at, at this point in the story. And it says, So many gathered there that there was no room left, even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So Jesus is in a house. Most people believe that this is Peter's house. They're gathering in the house. There's religious re- leaders. There's the crowd. All these people are gathering around Jesus. I love how Jesus always had a crowd around him. And it says this, verse 3, that some men came bringing to him a paralytic. Everybody say paralytic. paralytic. Carried by four of them. Four. Everybody say four. Four. Since they could not get to him because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. I don't know about you, but if that was my house, I would not be very happy about that. (laughs) After digging through it, lowered the mat of the paralyzed man was laying on through the roof. And then Jesus, verse five, saw their faith. Everybody say "Their their faith. And he said to the paralytic, son... Your sins are forgiven. Everybody say their faith. faith. Everybody say son. Son. Verse 6. Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, what does this fellow talk? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately. Oh, come on. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But that you may, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took up his mat and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. So we have this story, right? Four characters in the story, or four sets of characters. The first character is Jesus, right? It's always good when Jesus shows up. The second group of characters we have are the people in the crowd. Now, in the crowd, there's all kinds of people, just like any crowd you go into. You go to Walmart, there's a crowd, all kinds of people, right? Uh, yes, especially at Walmart. So you go, there's, and, and when Jesus is in this crowd, there's all these religious people there. They were, they were looking to accuse Jesus. So they were, everywhere Jesus showed up, they showed up also because they were looking to have uh, something against him. Um, and then we have the third guy, or the third person, which would be considered the patient, which is the paralytic. And then we have the paralytic's friends, four friends. So there's four groups of people, okay? You connect with one of those groups of people. We know that you're not Jesus. I'm sorry. Some of y'all are disappointed in that. You're not Jesus. I hope you're not the crowd that you're just spectating or you're there to accuse, right? But most of us fit in one of these camps. We're either one of the four friends that are helping a friend get a miracle or we're the one that needs a miracle. We're the paralytic, we're paralyzed. How many of you have ever been paralyzed and you needed the help from your friends to get you to Jesus? And that's a little bit what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, it's interesting to me that this story revolves around 
these four friends, doesn't really revolve around, it really revolves around Jesus, but the story happens because these four friends, the, the number four, the first time that we really see the number four was on day four. You guys remember day four? And on day four in creation, what happens is the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars were all completed. Basically, God created the earth. He created this capacity. He created this establishment for life to happen. Are you tracking with me? So what we have here, when we speak of the number four, we speak of something that's very established. Four friends is a great company of friends to have because that's a well-established group of people. You're always going to have your bestie, right? And then you're always going to have people that are a little bit closer and, and so on and so forth. So we understand that. So we know that that number is that number four is kind of like the number of establishment. There's four gospels, right? There's four directions, north, south, east, west. There were four rivers in Eden. There's four creatures in heaven. Okay, so scripture really speaks of this number four as kind of an establishment, kind of creates a capacity for life to happen. The word, if you look up that word, whenever it says that in in Genesis, after God created that, he said, and this will establish seasons. That word seasons in the Hebrew is the word Moab. And what that means is this, appointed times or divine appointments. So I believe when there is four, it sets up the opportunity for divine appointments. So you have four guys on a, on a mission, creating an environment for five to happen. Well, what is five? Five is the number of grace. Four plus one is five. So four friends is a great place to be. It's a great place to be. But how many of you know you need that other friend there? You need that number, that number, other friend there so you can have grace. Jesus is grace personified. So actually the story tells us there are four friends. There are actually five friends. Jesus was the fifth friend. In fact, in Luke's account, he, he doesn't say, son, your sins are forgiven. He says, friend, your sins are forgiving. So it's interesting that Jesus, in the context of four, the number established, comes in and puts his on it and says it's five, the number of grace. Grace personified. John chapter 1, verse 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. How did this moment happen? Because four friends, which is a great group of friends to have, are you with me? An established moment sets it up for grace. Y'all okay? Verse five, when he saw their faith, their faith, everybody say their faith. Now, I'm sure that the paralytic had some faith that day. In fact, it might have been his idea to get to Jesus. But Jesus saw their faith, their collective faith, the faith of of four, maybe five people there. And it speaks to me when I look at this. I'm like, man, we all need friends in our life. And we don't just need friends that believe in us. We need friends that believe for us. Come on. I know, I know the society is telling us, man, you just need everybody to believe in you. Listen, what's more important for somebody to believe in me is for someone to believe for me. Because if someone believes for me, they can get me to Jesus when I can't get there myself. So I want to talk for just a few moments about the faith of friends. Maybe it's the faith that we need from our friends, or maybe it's a faith we need to have for our friends. Because the encounter that we need is oftentimes connected to those that are, we are in community with. You know, it's interesting. We all want a miracle, but we're not willing to get dirty in relationships 
to, to experience miracles. Can I tell you this? The kingdom was never meant to do alone. I, I love my private relationship with Jesus. I have a private relationship with Jesus. You have a private relationship with Jesus. But what we see mostly in scripture is relationships with Jesus in the context of community. How many know that sometimes conditions make it difficult for you to get to the Lord? Right? Maybe your conditions, maybe you're paralyzed. Come on, maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're discouraged wherever you're at. Your conditions make it difficult for you to get to Jesus. But if you have some friends that will believe for you, and believe with you and do some work, then you can get to where you need to be. Sometimes we can't find our way on our own, so we need the help from our friends. So the faith of friends, first of all, is this. Y'all okay? Y'all are quiet. Y'all gonna, y'all gonna have to chip her up. We're gonna be here until one. <laughs> y'all all right? All right. Number one, the faith of friends is built through community. See, these guys, they didn't wake up that day and go, hey, let's go find a friend that's paralyzed and take him to Jesus. No, these were people that were in it. Maybe they were there when he became paralyzed. I don't know. We don't have that much history on the story. But what we know is these were guys who were willing to put some work in. They were definitely people that were in his life that were connected to him. You know, sometimes, sometimes the miracle that we need will be found by the people that were around The supernatural is connected more to our sense of community than our personal ambitions. So I love it that you have a personal relationship with God. That's great. But how is that benefiting those around you? And how are you benefiting from the relationship that the people around you have with God? We privatize this thing called our faith. It was never meant to be that way. So part of the reason why the world's such a mess is because we've lost this thing called community. We replace tables for screens. The supernatural is more connected to our sense of community than our own personal ambitions. Check this out. Acts chapter two. Y'all know the book of Acts. If you want to know what revival looks like, look at the book of Acts. This is what revival looks like. This is what it says. And the believers devoted themselves. They were committed. They were devoted. That's a word we don't know much about today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowshipping to hanging out, to sharing meals together, including the Lord's Supper. See, can I tell you that, that when you, after church today, if you go to lunch with somebody, that's spiritual. It's spiritual. It's spiritual for you to have fellowship with other Christians. That's spiritual. You know, I used to kind of buy into this philosophy that if we got together with a bunch of believers and we weren't praying or reading the Bible together, then we weren't being spiritual. It's just as spiritual for you to have good fellowship and have fun with other believers. Because sometimes the word of Christ dwells in you and you don't have to open a Bible. You don't have to pray. You should do those things. We should do those things collectively. But sometimes you just need the encouragement just by being in the room. And this is what we see. So they hung out together. They fellowshiped together. They ate together. They went out. If it was today, they would go out and eat together. They didn't go out and eat. They didn't have like Taco Bell and stuff back in those days. Street Street vendors. They probably had a couple street vendors. Verse 43 says this. A deep sense of awe came over them all. 
And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So it's interesting to me that they saw many signs and wonders. One of the things that I see that that we lack today in 2017 in the church is what they had here is that we don't spend as much time together as the apostles did, as the disciples did. And guess what else we don't have as much as they had? Signs, miracles, and wonders. So maybe those two things are connected. I would submit to you that definitely those two things, those things are connected. Anyone that claims, hey, it's just me and Jesus, they've missed it. The New Testament was written by a company of believers living out their faith together. How many know that you were not meant to do life alone? You, you can't do life alone, at least not the way that God called you to do it. When we become isolated, we lose our power. It is depowering of you for you for it to be just you and Jesus. That's not your destiny. It's not good. Remember the first thing that God ever said. It's not good that man be alone. So God created this thing called partnership. And we think, oh yeah, it's me and God. We're partners. We're doing this thing together. Yes, 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 the vertical, but also the horizontal partnership. God, that's why it's called a commission because we're called, called to do it together. That's why when Jesus said, whenever you get together and pray, you say our father, not my father. Because God created this system to be experienced together. That's why it's important to be in church on Sundays. But not just on church on Sundays, but hanging out at one another's house, going and doing things together, raising our kids together. This is why we not only do church together, we do life together. We worship together. We serve together. We grow together. We also struggle together. We fail together. But listen, we fulfill God's mandate on the earth together because we are better together. My life is better with you in it. I hope your life is better with me in it. I will make sure that it, it is my job. I'll make sure that, my, that I, my life, that your life is better with me in it. That's a very high value for me. I'll make sure that I'm not just sucking life from the people that I'm around, but I'm contributing. Come on. I'm not always complaining. Complainers are drainers. We know that. So some of us, listen, need to get the I out of our system. Well, I think, well, I want, well, I do, and I, nah, I, 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 I. Not a lot. There was a guy that did that one time. He was in heaven. He talked about ah a whole lot, and it got him cast out of heaven. Right? Yeah. Lucifer, y'all remember that? Well, if I, if I, if I, if I, if I, if I, yeah, that's right. That'll get you knocked out. So we need to get the I out of our system before the I gets you out of the system. Because the moment we become isolated, we lose our power. Isolated. That's right. Get out of there. So it's built through community. Again, this didn't happen. It didn't happen like they woke up and thought, let's go find somebody to take to Jesus. No, they were his friends. They knew the condition he was in. Number two, you okay? The faith of friends is built through community. Number two, it's driven by compassion. You know, Garth had friends in low places, right? And if you know that song, it's about friends in low places. They don't really get out of that place. By the way, you know what happens when you play country music backwards? Huh? You get your wife back. You get your dog back. You get your truck back. Right? That's what happens. All right. All right. That's why I don't tell jokes. That's just why. 
So God, uh, just next time. Uh-huh. But listen, we need friends in high places. And we do have friends in high places if you have believers. The Bible says that we're seated in heavenly places. But when we talk about high places, we're talking about the place of love. That we have people around us that, that love us. And we also be a person that contributes that love. And, you know, this is the thing about compassion. Compassion can be messy. We, we've developed these relationships, these superficial relationships in our culture that says, if you don't agree with me, then I can't be friends with you. And so we don't really have covenant. We have relationships built upon ideologies. So we, we surround ourselves with people that agree with us on every little thing. And we don't grow. And we wonder why. We, don't, we think the same that we thought 30 years ago. That's probably not a good thing. You probably need to be growing. If you're more impatient now than you were 20 years ago, you've got a problem. Ouch. Compassion is messy. You know, what I, what I love about this story is that these guys go up, they get on a roof of somebody else's house, not at their own house, and start tearing the roof up. I mean, can you imagine you're like in there meeting with Jesus, you know? Hey, Lord, so glad you're here. And then like stuff starts falling, crumbling. Now these houses, these houses were, history tells us that these houses were built probably with staircases on the outside because it was, they didn't have AC. So at night they would go and hang out on the roofs and stuff. But the roofs were usually built with kind of like a stucco with branches and things like that. So when they're tearing it up, it's not like they need a jackhammer or, you know, a a project manager to come out with the truck and all that kind of stuff. They're just pulling it apart and they're breaking it open. But when they're doing this, all this like stucco is like falling all over everybody. They're freaking, I mean, can you imagine if that's your house? I'm not very happy about that. If you're doing that to me, I know that like your friend needs a miracle and everything, but I'm just not okay with that. Let's, can, can, we, can you just wait till the meeting's over? I mean, Jesus will still be here, right? But com- listen, when you're, when you're compassionate, when love is driving you, sometimes it's messy. I mean, sure, it could have waited, but they loved their friend. They didn't want their friend to go another moment being crippled. Compassion. Compassion. Are we driven by compassion? You know, one of the things that we think about immediately when we think about compassion, one of the things that we start thinking about is we start thinking about the struggle that's in the world. We start thinking about humanitarian efforts, about how people are hungry. And we think about how people are broken and people are poor. And absolutely, we should have compassion for that so many times. But what I, what I have a problem with is so many times we're compassionate towards human temporary need because as real as it is, it is still temporary. Hungry, hunger, listen, is a real problem, but it's a temporary problem. Are you with me? That is not an eternal problem. Now, when you offer a solution, you just brought eternity into that. Come on. But that's, that's a natural. So what happens is we, we allow the thing to drive our compassion is momentary need. Temporary. Which, why don't we have that same kind of compassion whenever we walk around and see people that are lost that don't know the Lord? Let, let me just be real with you. Someone that's dying of hunger or dies of hunger goes to the same hell that a person that dies of gluttony if they don't have Jesus. 
So do we have more compassion on their temporary need or do we have compassion on their soul? Let's just be real. Without Jesus is the way. He's the way regardless. Should we feed hungry? Yes, absolutely. Should compassion drive us to do that? Yes. But I think that we've lost it sometimes when we can't love the person in front of us who has a broken soul. See, Jesus... Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the people, not because they were hungry, not because they were demonized. He said, I see them jacked up, but he had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep without shepherds, that they were lost souls. In Matthew chapter 9, 36, he saw them as broken people. He saw them as broken humanity. Listen, can I tell you that the person that is getting on your nerves that you're trying to get away from is probably broken in their soul. But do you have compassion on that one? Will you befriend that one? So it's easy sometimes to be compassionate for our friends whenever they're going through a difficulty, when they're going through a tragedy. And I get it. I, I'm the same way. I'm more driven that way. But do I care for their soul? Do I care for their eternity? Listen, some people will only encounter the Lord because you're in their life. And if you don't be the conduit, the conduit of an encounter for them, they'll never experience Jesus. Your friends need forgiveness. The greater need here, the greater need in this narrative is not the guy's paralyzed. The greater need in this narrative is the guy's a sinner. as equally a sinner as the religious rulers that are sitting in the room. So when Jesus speaks up, he addresses the sin. See, your friends, if they don't know Jesus, come on, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about lost people. Your friends need forgiveness. They need healing. Will you help them to the master? I'm convinced that most of the time, I'm I'm trying to be gracious in this. I'm afraid that most of the time that we're more interested in being liked by those that we're around than we are really concerned about their soul, that we are concerned about their eternity, that we're concerned about their encounter with the Lord. The greater issue is their relationship with Jesus. Have they encountered him? It's the greatest issue. The greatest issue in the world is not hunger. The greatest issue in the world is not racism. The greatest, greatest issue in America are not those things. The greatest issue is that people need Jesus. That's the greatest issue. So are we being the kind of friend that gives people Jesus? Those other, listen, we need to speak out. We need to address those issues. Absolutely. The church should be the biggest force on the planet that are addressing these needs. But are we getting people to Jesus to get them into right relationship with the Lord? What kind of friend are you being if you don't give them the greatest thing that has ever happened to you? It's like we're hiding the cure. What kind of friend are we being if we don't bring them to a counter? You say, man, Pastor Josh, that's a lot of pressure. It sure is. It's a lot of pressure. Welcome to the kingdom of God. 
This is the pressure. This is the mandate. This is the thing that God puts on us to reach the world with the love of Jesus. To go and make disciples of all nations. Not to go be entertained and have people that'll tell me I'm okay whenever I did something stupid this week. It's a lot of pressure. So we need friends that are driven with compassion. Y'all all right? Because compassion, listen, compassion, I'm not talking about pity. I'm talking about compassion, something that moves you to address need. The greatest need in the world today is that people don't know Jesus. How active are we doing? How good of friends are we being to those that we know that don't have the Lord? When is the last time that you had a conversation with your non-believing friends about their walk with Jesus or about how much God loves them? Or about the goodness of God? Or do you skew the subject because you're afraid you might get rejected? Do you care about them? Do we care about the world around us? Do we care? Do we really have compassion on our friends? Y'all okay? I'm not, I'm not rebuking you. I'm just asking you a question. The faith of friends, it's built through community. Number two, it's driven by compassion. Number three, it's carried out by carrying the weight. It's carried out by carrying the weight. Four men find this guy. Not, they don't find him. They know he's there on this mount, mat. Some translations say it was a couch. Basically, it was a bed that he lived life on. He couldn't get away from this mat, this couch that he was on, this padding. Had some structure to it. So they pick him up and they carry him. They get him there. The room's full. So they carry him up the roof, tear a hole in the roof, and then lower him. They've got to be wore out. We helped, we helped uh, Ian move yesterday. I was wore out after about 20 minutes. <laughs> their arms have to be tired, yet they all have a rope. And they're all lowering their friend. They're all carrying the weight to get their friend to Jesus. Carrying the weight of our friends carrying the troubles. Come on, carrying the complicated, the complex, the crud, the cray, the crying, whatever it is that they're going through that we're willing to get in there even when it's uncomfortable. And they're cussing at us and we're believers and we're going, well, you shouldn't say that. Or you know, I love it so much that whenever I get around people and y'all are going to think this is, a pastor probably shouldn't think this way. Maybe you'll think this way. I don't know. I kind of enjoy it whenever I'm sitting around someone and, they're, and they just are real honest and they start using cuss words like to describe their situation. And I'm, I'm just, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, pastor. I'm like, it's not a big deal because what they're doing is they're unloading on me. I don't get a religious spirit and go, oh, I'm so offended because you used a word I don't like. You shouldn't talk that way around me. I'm a man of God. It, the people that say that, I'm like, well, when's the last time you thought that, right? <laughs> that word. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But if you don't, then maybe you can, we can come, you can come do some counseling with me because I need some help in that area. All right. Listen, are we willing to sit there? Are we willing to, to cry with people? Are we willing to rejoice with them whenever, whenever, um, whenever, whenever they have a win that we wanted? Have you ever had a friend get a win that you wanted in your life? Like they got promoted and you didn't? And, you, and envy filled your heart? And you didn't want to rejoice with them? Check this out. 
Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those that mourn. Sometimes it's easy to mourn with those that mourn, and it's not easy to rejoice with those that rejoice. Come on. Because it's hard for me right now, and they're doing good. Lord, don't you love me? Well, the struggle's real, man. I was believing for that. Do you love them enough to rejoice? Are you willing to carry that weight? And to weep with those that weep. Are you willing to, to go and just sit? Are you willing to go and sit in a room where there's so much tension you could cut it with a knife and just listen to your friends talk about how angry they are, how maybe how frustrated that maybe they even are with God? And just listen to them and not tell them, you should think that, you shouldn't think that, you should feel this, you shouldn't feel that. And just listen and just carry the crud. And then just tell them, not, not correct them, but just pray for them. Just hug them. Maybe not say anything. Maybe just reach your arm around and hug them. Or just let them know you're there. Are you willing to carry the crud? Are you willing to carry the weight? And this is how our faith for our friends is demonstrated. It's by carrying their weight. Their weaknesses and their strengths. Come on, let's just be real. So, the faith of friends. Again, whether we're receiving it or whether we're giving it. Number one, it's built through community. Number two, it's driven by compassion. Number three, it's carried out by carrying weight. Part two. So we have the encounter that happens because of the friends. And then we have the encounter itself. And Jesus reveals some things in this encounter. I believe these are things that Jesus reveals in every encounter. I know we're kind of switching gears, but verse five, Jesus says five words. Five is the number of grace. So this is what he says. Son, your sins are forgiven. And I love it that when Jesus encounters this man, he deals with the sin. But he doesn't just deal with the sin and then call him son. He calls him son before he addresses the sin. So there's there's a few things that Jesus reveals in this encounter. First of all, Jesus reveals himself. You say, wait, wait, Jesus didn't say I'm Jesus or anything like that. Absolutely he did. Because when the religious piped up, they said, whoa, wait a second. This is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins? except for God alone. And Jesus goes, that's right. You're catching on. (laughs) Jesus indirectly claims him being God right here in this moment. Only God can remove sins. So the the, the religious were like, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And Jesus is like, I'm God. Watch. I'll forgive sins. Y'all all all right? Another reason why Jesus deals with the sin is because many religious leaders and, and the wives tells of the day and still today is that if you had sickness in your life, it's because you were sinning because you had sin in your life. How many of you, has anybody ever had that experience where you were sick or something? Someone said, do you have sin in your life? This is what they thought back in the day. Now, understand this, that all sickness and all disease is a result from the fall. So when Jesus came, he came to reverse the effects of the fall. This guy wasn't sick because of his his sin. 
He was sick because of sin, because sin entered the world 4,000 years before that. Are you tracking with me? So Jesus deals with the sin because Jesus is saying, this is what I came to do to destroy the works of the devil. Sickness is of the devil. It's not because you're possessed. It's not because you have sin in your life. It's because of the fall. It's because you're subject to a fallen world. However, there is a man that goes beyond the rules of nature and says, let me deal with the supernature in your life. Sickness and disease are both a result from the fall. Jesus can reverse those effects. So when Jesus was speaking to this, this man, back to the, the God claim, when Jesus was speaking to the man, but he was proclaiming it to the room. He was proclaiming it to everybody in the room. He's saying, yeah, that's right. Jesus was not just showing the man and his friends that he could heal. He was showing them that he was God. He was showing them what God looked like. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, Jesus is perfect theology. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. This is what Jesus was doing. This is what God does. He forgives sin. He heals the broken. So Jesus reveals himself. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us all wisdom and understanding. You know how God loves on you? Do you know how Jesus loves on you? By showing you about himself. When, when I, I'm, a, I'm a lavisher, I'm, I'm touchy-feely. So if, if, I, if, if I come up and I you know, start like grabbing your arm or giving you arm, it's, I'm, I'm just showing affection. I'm just kind of loving on you. So I'm just, I'm a, that's how I lavish love. That's how I communicate. Hey, I, I'm happy to see you. I love you. The way that God shows his love is he reveals himself. Wisdom, understanding. He's like, you, this is who I am. Whoa, we're hammered, right? So he reveals himself. Number two. So Jesus reveals himself in the statement. The second thing that he reveals is he reveals who we are. Our identity. Son. Son. See, when you come to Jesus, he calls you who you are. When you came to the, that's why, that's why you're not a sinner anymore. I know that that's like a, a, a theology that people use. Oh, Paul said one time, I'm the chief of sinners. One time. Like over 40 times he refers to believers as saints. God doesn't look at you and go, aren't you glad I saved you, you measly sinner? Don't you go tell somebody about Jesus, you measly sinner? Yeah, because every sinner feels like doing that. No, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't call you by your sin. Come on. He calls you by your identity, son, daughter. Son, daughter. We discover who we are when Jesus reveals who he is and then he embraces us as his own. How many know that Jesus is not ashamed of you? He calls you son. He calls you daughter. Listen, as weak as you are. As weak as you are, you are still his son. You are still his daughter. That status doesn't change based upon your weakness, based upon how you're performing today. My son, Judah Brown, is my son. Nothing can change that. Nothing he can do will change that. No, no, no matter how bad he behaves. In fact, part of the reason why I have an expectation for his life is because he is mine. 
Are you, are you tracking with me? So our identity doesn't change because of our weakness. He reveals himself. He reveals our identity. Number three, he reveals our position. Your sins are forgiven. Your position in Christ is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not just a little better than a sinner. That's not the righteousness of God. We're not talking about the righteousness of Mother Teresa. We're talking about the righteousness of God. So your condition, your position in God is not just a little better than a sinner. Just a sinner that's washed his hands. That's not your position. Your position is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How righteous are you? As righteous as God is. That's your position. That'll change some things. If you can get that, it'll change some things. And the fourth thing that Jesus reveals in this statement, or the next statement that he makes, is our condition. Because at this moment, this man was not crippled anymore. I love that Jesus doesn't just go, oh, your sins are forgiven. And I'll I'll teach you a lesson through your paralyzed body for the rest of your life. God's ways aren't our ways. We'll just kind of leave you on the mat here and your friends can continue taking care of you. Come on. That's not how Jesus rolls. He, he, He starts on the inside and works towards the outside. Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he asks the religious, what's easier? To tell a man your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? And before they could answer, he looks at the, at the son of his, his friend, and says, oh, by the way, your sins aren't only forgiven. Just won't you pick up that mat and go home? And the guy that we don't know how long he's paralyzed, but I'm assuming for years, life enters his muscles, his tendons that have been dormant, picks up his bed and goes home to experience a new life. His condition was changed. God's really been highlighting to me Luke chapter 12, verse 32. It says this, it gives your father great happiness or great pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, it's God's joy not to just forgive you of your sin, but to transform your condition. The kingdom, all of it, everything that Jesus rules over, sickness, disease, malfunction. Come on. How many of y'all have some malfunctions in your life? Jesus came to address it. But I believe in this room today that some of you are paralyzed. You're stuck. You're not going anywhere. You can't get anywhere. You've tried. You seek counsel. Some of you are paralyzed by fear, by doubt, by insecurity, disappointment, discouragement, or despair. Some of you are paralyzed by pride or fear or anger, frustration and bitterness. 
But the good thing is today, you have some friends in the room. And you might be paralyzed and you might, might not have been able to get breakthrough. But today, Jesus is in the room. And he's here. And he'll love you through the mess and he'll love you through the difficulties. And, he's, and, he, and he says, today, I want to help you walk. Today, I want to help you go home different than the way that you left. Jesus wants to change everything.